1: Well, listen, longtime listeners know I love people who think big and today's guest is no exception. Jeff Rosenthal turned his wild idea of a ski trip for young entrepreneurs and eventually turning it into the Summit, a series of invitation-only events with some of the top thought leaders and entrepreneurs in the world. He also co-owns one of the world's largest ski resorts in North America. Jeff and his business partners recently co-authored a new book called make no small plans lessons on thinking big chasing dreams and building community jeff welcome to all business with jeffrey hazlett thanks for having me jeffrey appreciate it it's good you guys have done well you start with the book with on a story on how you called at that time the summit series and how it got started can you give the listeners a look at the chaotic beginnings
2: um, yeah, absolutely. We, we you know, started the summit in 2008. We were young entrepreneurs. We were in our early 20s, 23, 24 years old. And when you're that age and you're running a business or you're starting something new, you typically are learning by screwing stuff up and then hopefully not repeating those mistakes or finding like a morsel of wisdom um, from some mentor you found out in the world. And, and the idea was very simple. It was like, man, how cool would it be if we could throw an event and gather other young founders who were going through the same stuff that we were going through. So we cold called, we Facebook messaged. We got 19 people to say yes out of probably the 100 that we hit up um, to come on a free ski trip with us in Park City, Utah in 2008. Um, and that that event was poorly planned. And there wasn't much going on. And there wasn't much thought into it. We didn't have a big track record in hosting entrepreneurs or putting on conferences. However, the spirit of it, where there was no um, cherished outcome, you know, no, we weren't looking to extract value or make money off of this. We simply thought, you know, it would be amazing to make some friends and then, you know, perhaps learn from one another. And that absolutely was true. And that was really the spark of Summit. How did
1: you connect with your
2: business partners? One of my co-founders, Brett, and I threw parties together in college. So I went to American University. He went to George Washington. After school, we both started small businesses and stayed in touch. And he had met Elliot, um, our other co-founder, through the real estate community in Washington, DC. Brett was sort of like the original glue. He, he also went to high school with uh, Jeremy, our, our, our fourth co-founder. So, uh, you know, L- Elliot on his own put together the very first trip in 2008. You know, he, he had a business called Business on Business, um, put it on his own credit card. Um, and then by the second event, also in 2008, Um, The team was starting to form. But uh, yeah, you know, D.C., man, that was that was the origination.
1: A lot of good businesses came out of that area in the tech world over the years and, of course, all over the country. But that was one of the highlights. You you know, as I said in the intro, I like people who think big. It's even the title of one of my books. In the book, you say no idea should go unspoken. What's the craziest idea that had uh, had become reality for you guys?
2: I think the craziest idea was like buying and buying a ski resort and building a mountain town at 27 years old, 26 years old when the idea started to germinate and we started to you know, uh, go for it. The, the theme of no idea should go unspoken is that brainstorming is typically done in a box. Like when people think about, okay, what's a creative idea that I could have that would be amazing for my business or personally. Um, and and the world's kind of set up to shoot down really big bold ideas. You know, your friends or your coworkers—they'll tell you like that is crazy. That's the, that's what they're supposed to say. Um, and you know, for us, when we would uh, when we would play storm to use a term from my friend Daniel, um, we we would just say the craziest thing that could come to mind, almost free association, and then it's fun. And then you're just like you know bantering with your buddies. Um, to a degree. And then, of course, you end up arriving at a crazy idea that's actually executable. Man, we should really charter an ocean liner and build a temporary autonomous zone for a conference. And then you say two or three other crazy things, and then somebody else in the room is like, wait a minute, why can't you do that? Can't we just call a cruise company and charter a boat? And so then, you know, that's the, that's the birth of Summit at Sea in 2011 for us as one of our event models. Um, so yeah, no idea should go unspoken. It's just that if you're having fun and you're being an expansive thinker, Um, It's a, it's a way more enjoyable creative process and it actually allows you to arrive at something that will excite everybody else.
1: How soon did you abandon your other businesses or did you, as this started to take off?
2: Almost immediately. You know, the, the curve for summit first event, 2008, 19 people, second event, six months later, it's uh, 60 people and our third event within 270 days of starting summit was at the white house so you know we had an unbelievably exponential growth curve and we started getting just amazing wisdom from the community that we were servicing because we were the youngest and least experienced people in the room um immediately so that the personal growth and the professional growth that came from summit was a thousand x from the other things that we were doing and working on so um some people you know walked away from like you know i had startups that i stopped pursuing um, Jeremy had a rock band was on the warp tour and he left music. Um, Elliot left his, his business that he co-founded biznow, and uh, you know Brett had built an energy consultancy in Washington, DC that he almost immediately stopped uh, working on. So I think that you know we we really were happy to uh, burn the boats as you will, and step off in the new land. Uh, you know we couldn't go back.
0: c Suite Radio.
1: I'm a, you know, four time best-selling author myself. I know what that's like, you know, uh, selling books and getting that out. But that's I just read a great book last night. And you know, I'm just excited about people who are still doing books, because sometimes it's a lost art, but the good ones are the really good ones. Let me ask you about community, because I always talk about content, community and commerce, and those three go together. How important is building community to your business?
2: it's everything it's the foundation of what we do we have we're a generalist organization we host a conference and build events for people of different disciplines different backgrounds um you know different nationalities and the more diverse the inputs the more complex and impactful the outputs to do that, to have that breadth and depth, to where you can program on behalf of a wide community, you have like you're you're in their hands in a sense. Like the way that we uh, curate is we curate the curated. We ask the experts that we're lucky enough to service and say, hey, what would you want to do? Um, so from building the community and meeting new community members to building the product and, and knowing the speakers and having the awareness of what great art or music um, or impact work is coming down the pike, it's 100% on the people that are around us. Um, and you know, we as community builders, we just truly get more serotonin and dopamine from doing for our friends and seeing them succeed than from our own wins. And I think that that's an orientation that's really helpful if community is gonna be your business.
1: But, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but the more that you help other people win, the more you win in the end. Well, that
2: we call it the triangulation of goodwill. You know, like if you're playing a a game of trades or you're looking for a reciprocity loop, it's extractive from the beginning. Your first step was really not in the spirit of, of generosity. And I think that if you, you know, give without the expectation of return, or if you just say, hey, I'm gonna win the giving competition. I'm not gonna worry about like, who's the better friend here. Um, That's the way where you get to a place of abundance. And then you feel right, whether or not it comes back to you karmically, you've built a favor economy surplus. So people wanna help you Um, and you feel comfortable. Like, why wouldn't you ask somebody else to just help you because you live in a cycle of doing it for other people. Um, so I think that you know if you're you know man people won't help me or that nobody wants to help then you're going to be in a framework where you're not going to go and ask. I think that you know if you just go ask and you're not living a life of generosity, it's also a one-way street.
1: Yeah, because we all run into those takers. I mean, I got people who like that all the time. They're just asking me, asking me rather than giving. The more you give, the more you get. That's the the rule I've always lived by. Now, your summit described as the Davos of Generation Z. How important was it for the summit to set itself apart? from the other events, which I think you guys did a really great job of, by the way.
2: Thank you, man. I, I think that's a what's well, off by one generation. We're really the Davos of Gen Y. Okay. Um, you know, the millennial generation. Gen Z is a whole other Web3, you know, interconnected, <laughs> you know, uh, species um, with, with a to- totally different set of philosophies. So actually, I think every organization has to fight for relevance. And one of the things that we think about a lot is how to bring in those you know, 25-year-old entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs that we're just learning about. Um, in terms of you know differentiation, it, it, I, I don't know that it was intentional. You know, the product that we're interested in is not symposium stage, it's not you know, speakers lecturing to us for 10 hours straight in one room. Some of us want to go to talk, some of us want to participate in dialogue, some of us want to go to the yoga class, maybe you just want to cook food with the chef, maybe you want to go on a hike, you know. So we're all about curating fun dynamic shared experiences and those could be intellectual those could be social those could be adventure but that's what typically leads to sticky relationships and that's that's our KPI the most important thing to us is like you know what lifelong relationship or what amazingly impactful relationship did you participate in one of our platforms and then come away with because that's priceless um that has forever value and then all of the the assets whether it's like you know something spectacular like building a you know, thousand-person campsite on top of a mountain for three and a half days, or chartering an ocean liner, or building a mountain town. It's really like uh, being in service of this community of interdisciplinary, intergenerational people, and doing things that's inspiring enough to where you're relevant for them. Because if you're doing also ran dinner, if you're if you're kind of boring, then nobody's gonna pay attention. Um, and and so I think the elements are all indicative of of those principles.
1: What were some of the, besides money, what were some of the earliest obstacles in the early days of the summit? It,
2: your own naivete and experience. You know, mm. we, it's the gift is that you're naive in and inexperienced, and so you'll run at something crazy. But, um, you know, we had our teeth knocked out on every complexity up the ring that we had to face. Um, you know, we didn't go to Harvard Business School. We're not, you know, we're non target, you could say. We have two college degrees between the four co founders. And, you know, the team of people that jumped on our pirate ship, you know, from four to 10 to 20 people that we would move around the world, renting houses as like our office and home and hosting in it. And like, you know, we had this whole kind of Blues Brothers gonzo entrepreneurial journey. Um, Road trip. Almost like road trip. (laughs) And so it's hilarious and it's fun. And it's, you know, really, it's a a great story, but that you can't, you know, you don't really have wisdom in your 20s. You have hustle. And you can't, you know, once you operate from wisdom, you can sit back and think about your strategy and then execute against the plan. When you're a kid and you don't, you know, you're not you're not that killer, like this is how it works. So, I mean, man, buying a mountain and figuring out everything that had to do with actually closing on that transaction and raising that amount of money and, yeah. you know, municipal bonds and EB-5 loans and, you know, operating a 40 year old asset that has a huge community fan base that believes that it's like their mountain, you know? Um, so pretty much in every, every time that we have, so that's, that just comes to the territory, man. If you're expecting to like, you know, not get your teeth knocked out while playing professional hockey, it's just, you're, you're misinformed.
1: What'd you miss out in the summit? What did you say? Hey, look, I should have done that. That one thing in the summit that you wish you would have done.
2: The only, the only, I don't have any really regrets about it. The only thing I would say is I wish I invested in my friends more. When I look at the last 12 years, the people that I resonated with the most, who I like really loved or spent time, I mean, man, they all crushed it. They all did it incredible. And there's probably a reason why, you know, you're inspired by those people and you wanna spend more time around them and
1: you, you learn from
2: them and that's because they're, they're probably amazing. So- uh, Are you talking about the,
1: the learning or are you talking about because you would have made a lot more money? i'm I'm saying I would have
2: invested in them from a financial perspective, yeah. um, because that wasn't our priority. You know like this is a return on community before return on investment, entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, and And I don't think we missed out on anything. I think that we're like unbelievably lucky. Like we got to run around the world and meet amazing people and learn from folks and focus our you know lives on on experiences. and um, And I can't imagine a more fun way. Um, to spend our time. And then, you know, two of us came out of it meeting amazing women that are now our wives and, and you know, um, the mothers of our children, like, we, we punched way above our weight because of the platform that we, you know, were are lucky enough to start. Um, so yeah, I can't I can't share with you any regrets, man. Sorry.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: You had mentioned that early on that some of those mentors popped up in your life. Who are those?
2: The early ones, uh, first and foremost, I had my my grandmother and my grandfather. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and they were a proper matriarch-patriarch partnership. And we had this huge family that would gather on like a weekly, bi-weekly basis, 80, 70 people, aunts, uncles, cousins, and that feeling and idea of extended family really stretched to some it in a sense, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the feeling of what it's like to have that size of people that you can like, trust and depend on and love that you, that, that you know are going to take pleasure in your successes. It's kind of a different phenomenon. It's a bit lonely as an entrepreneur and it's competitive and man, business is shrewd. You know, people are everybody's looking out for themselves in a sense to, you know, it, it, it's mutually beneficial for you to succeed like it is with family. Then it's a different thing, right? So that was always how we thought about summit. It was like really, you know, are these people that we'd want to have around our families, be friends with, regardless of their professional success? Um, and then I think the most foundational, you know, single person in those early days was a guy named Tony Shea, who since passed away. He was the Tony, a great guy. Of, yeah, he was the founder and CEO of Zappos, and he was an incredible mentor and patron and friend to us. And um, when we threw our White House event in two thousand and nine. Um, about a month into the obama uh you know presidential term uh we brought 50 you know really tremendous entrepreneurs from all around the country and what they had asked us to do is like hey who are the most influential under 40 entrepreneurs who are the people that you know we have to know and um that was that was the that was the prompt and so after the event, we're at the bar, we're hanging out, and Tony comes up and he's like, "Hey, hey guys, are there people here that you wouldn't have your parents' house and you know for dinner and be their friend if they didn't have their personal or professional success?" And we're like, "Yeah, there's certainly, of course, but like you know that's not what we were asked to do." And he said, uh, "Well, they can't come anymore <laughs> because if you're building a community, which now is 2022, you hear this language, but then at 24 year olds, this was a revelation." you're building community, culture is your most important thing. And so you can only really bring people in that feed and fill your culture. Um, and we stayed up all night that night and, and, and really came up with the foundational principles about who we include in Summit. Are you, you know, an innovator in your field, regardless of discipline? And are you a kind, open-minded person that we would wanna be around regardless of personal professional success? And so, you know, um, praise, praise to Tony.
1: You know, it's interesting. I know Tony, I was a judge on Celebrity Apprentice for a couple of years. Tony uh, was one of the sponsors of that show and did his stick there. And we got to be friends. a uh, result of it, he sat next to me on the, one of the finales one time, shy, like introverted kind of guy. And I used to love to get together in Vegas. I'd always go see him and Penjillette. Pingillette was the other one I'd always go see when I'm in Vegas, have dinner or something. And Tony, we just sit around and just talk and what a unique young man he was and uh, a great, a lot of people would think he would have been much more extrovert, but he was a really, I thought a very shy kind of guy. Did you find that with him?
2: Of course, he was one of the only real introverts that, that he, he, was, he, brought, he was brought pleasure and joy by community, and yet was incredibly introverted. So it was a, it was a, it was a complicated setup um, to both be fed and uh, uh, discomforted by you know, people in a sense.
1: It just shows you that everybody can win no matter who you are. And it's really cool. And he did a great job in that. In the book, you say authenticity trumps perfections. What do you what do you and your other co-authors mean by that?
2: We're much more interested in the real person sitting in front of us than your best efforts in convincing us of what you think we want to see. Right? Like if you're trying to be a character that in your estimation, the person in front of you is most interested in, then you're losing. If you can um, express yourself from the things that you're actually doing and you're actually passionate about, then it doesn't really matter if these people resonate with you or not. You'll find your tribe, you'll find your people. And, you know, um, action begets more action. Once, Once the search is in progress, something will be found. So to sit and wait and plot and ponder and tinker until the thing is perfect you never get there nothing's ever perfect um, and and i think that especially when community engagement is important and you need other people to join your movement you got you got to take action and you got to be prolific um, and it's impossible to be you know prolific and perfect you can you can you know be pensive and do a few small things uh every once in a while but if you want to go big um it's typically you know wars aren't fought on one front in one battle you know it's 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 a it's a lot of energy and a lot of effort and you know um, we're also inch by inch kind of guys so like if you're you know the way that we talk about it is that 99 of the entrepreneurs at summit and in our community and ourselves personally we're smart enough you know like we are smart enough and capable enough and we can engage other smart people and you know together our tree has deep roots um and then there's one percent of entrepreneurs who are just Freak show geniuses that can literally do it all themselves. Tony was kind of like that. Tony is that smart, you know. Um, uh, and and they don't, they, they're the founder, they're the CEO, they sign every check. They didn't, you know, they can do it all. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that if you're, if you're, you know, if you can play a perfect game, then yeah, by all means, play your perfect game. But that's probably not the majority of people listening.
1: Exactly. And I would say a brand is nothing but a promise de- uh, delivered. And we've all heard about living the brand, but in the book you tell a story about how your team really did it in Miami. It's pretty unconventional. How did it come to be?
2: This was 2010. Uh, it's before Airbnb and VPRO and Zillow, and you know this is before a resurgent you know um, Miami that we see today. There was you know 40 or 50 thousand you know I think units in Miami and Miami Beach that were you know un- unfilled at this time. Um, now you can't, you know, get a house or an apartment, um, within 20 miles of the city. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we would do from the start of summit, there were four of us and we all lived together. And then we hired three more people and they lived with us and we would travel to a new city every six to eight weeks. And we would find a place that had either been for sale for a long time and hit up the agent and say, Hey, you know, this is who we are. This is the work that we do. We treat your house like a national park, you know, leave no trace. And we do good work from it. We'll of course pay rent. And if you want to show the house, or if you sell the house, kick us out. Um, uh, and, and we did this in Nicaragua, we did this in Tel Aviv, we did this in London, we did this all over the US. Um, we scaled from four people to 20 people in the house to the point where we had like a chef that was shopping for everybody and cooking breakfast and lunch and dinner. And I think we were paying $8.33 per meal per person pre-tax, right? Because it was coming out of our paycheck um and so we had found all these different hacks but we would find these just palaces in, in my, you're, you're talking about miami in particular we found a house on star island that um since of course got knocked down they built some beautiful you know mega mansion but this property was gorgeous and the house was like pretty you know i don't know a little dilapidated but old um kind of like spanish style probably 15, square foot indoor outdoor mansion with like statues, like we were kids, we were in our 20s and we were all pooling cash and the company was pooling some cash. And um, I I don't think I was paying more than like 1500 or 2000 bucks a month for rent. Um, and then our staff, of course, all were paying, you know, a thousand bucks or 800 bucks or whatever. Um, and it was amazing because, like, one, we would host people once a week. And then, and then of course, we'd host people all the time. But this is before we really had built a vibe. Um, and, and we'd have some entrepreneur, athlete or artist come over to the house and our whole company would ask them questions. We'd eat dinner. Uh, we'd make them jump on a trampoline or something silly and, and juvenile. Um, and and you know the, the most impactful part though is that when you build so much bond and camaraderie, you get a lot of work done. And then at night, you're just chopping it up on ideas. You know, you're 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 at dinner, it's ideas. You're in the study, it's ideas. You're you know, like walking on the walking on the road to go to a workout. It's just there's this constant touch point, um, and and that leads to a really a lot of buy-in, a lot of passion, a lot of like meaningful connection to the company. Um, and I think that today, especially in an era where company culture is soft, suffering so 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 meaningfully, um, it's more important to get out in the world with your coworkers, have fun, dynamic, shared experiences, because then you actually like each other. You actually trust each other. You want to help each other. It's not like because you get paid to be there.
1: Exactly. And what a great lesson to be able to learn. Jeff, thanks so much for being a part of All Business here. Jeff and Rosenthal, who we've been talking to his business partners, recently co-authored a new book, Make No Small Plans, Lessons on Thinking, Big Chasing Dreams and Building Community. Jeff, thanks for being with us on All Business with Jeffrey Hasley. Thank you, Jeffrey.